Hi, I'm Anya Katz, and you're listening to A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. I started this podcast because I was tired of being stereotyped as lazy, triggered, and entitled. I wanted to give voice to a different kind of millennial and invite us to write a new story. One of a generation willing to challenge the status quo, embrace nuance and paradox, and reject PC culture. This podcast isn't about finding answers. It's about asking the right questions. How can we reinvent ourselves and the narratives we've been expected to inherit? How can we take ownership over the ways we participate in our own suffering? How can we move beyond victimization and into empowerment? How can we fix ourselves to fix the world? It's time for new dreams, new stories, and new futures. People I love the best jump into work headfirst without dallying in the shallows and swim off with sure strokes almost out of sight. They seem to become natives of that element, the black sleek heads of seals bouncing like half-submerged balls. I love people who harness themselves, an ox to a heavy cart, who pull like water buffalo with massive patience, who strain in the mud and the muck to move things forward, who do what has to be done again and again. I want to be with people who submerge in the task, who go into the fields to harvest and work in a row and pass the bags along, who are not parlor generals and field deserters, but move in a common rhythm when the food must come in or the fire be put out. The work of the world is common as mud. Botched, it smears the hands, crumbles to dust. But the thing worth doing well done has a shape that satisfies, clean and evident. Greek amphoras for wine or oil, Hopi vases that held corn are put in museums. But you know they were made to be used. The pitcher cries for water to carry and a person for work that is real. Thank you.
Hello friends, thank you for tuning in to another episode of A Millennial's Guide to Saving the World. That was a poem called To Be of Use by Marge Piercy. I'm a little confused about where I heard of this poem. I just have a note to read it in this episode in my phone. I think it was mentioned by uh, someone named Peter Anderson who lives here in Cresto and he's a writer and Chris, my partner, just had him on his podcast called Tangentially Speaking. Uh, Both of us have been interviewing a lot of local folks and I so enjoyed the episode that Chris did with Peter. Highly recommend it if you haven't heard it. And yeah, I'm pretty sure he mentioned this poem. We're just going to go with that. But I thought it related so well to the conversation that you're about to hear with Sarah. Sarah uh, is part of a fourth and fifth generation organic potato farm. Actually, she married into it, but still very much a part of it uh, here in the valley. And I met her because I've been writing for the local paper, the Crestone Eagle, and specifically writing a lot about um, ecology and environmentalism in the San Luis Valley in general. So sort of going beyond Crestone specifically. Started at Blue Range Ranch. Uh, you may have heard that episode on my podcast. I think it was two episodes ago, a grass-fed beef ranch here in the valley. And I heard that they bring their cows to this place called the Jones Family Farm, which is an organic potato farm. So I was like, well, they seem cool. So I went over there and interviewed Sarah and her husband, Michael. And Sarah, as it turns out, is involved in so many other things. She just bought a gas station and cafe here called Hooper Junction and uh, was sort of helping to organize the largest earthwork, kind of like an outdoor site-specific art exhibit on one of her family's unused circle pivot 160-acre, like, unused potato field. Uh, And I just went to that. I have lots to say about it. (laughs) Um, I'll let you hear about it from Sarah, and then maybe I'm also going to be writing a piece about that for The Eagle, and I'd love to maybe read some of it or all of it on the podcast in the future. Uh, So she's doing all these awesome things and, you know, wants to work with local artists and just so much of what she said aligned with the vision that I've seen for this place. And, you know, even though we live in a very rough, poor environment here, uh, lots of desperation and also so much character and so much beauty. And I feel really lucky to be able to be connected to all these people and to bring their stories to life. So expect a lot more episodes with local folks, Uh, it's so much nicer to interview people in person. Uh, so yeah, I'm actually going to be releasing sort of like back-to-back episodes this week. So this is going to be the first with Sarah Jones, and then you're going to hear another episode that I did with someone named Peter May. And I wrote, uh, I did interviews and then wrote an article about both of them for the August edition of the paper. So I want to release those after the paper comes out, but not too late in case people actually want to listen to it. So probably in the next couple of days, you'll get another episode from me. When does that happen? Two episodes in a week. Super special. Life here in Crestone has been amazing. I feel so grateful for Leo season and it's been really difficult, honestly, to like be inside or on the phone or on the computer because the bugs here are finally dissipating. We have a pretty horrific mosquito season for about six weeks or so in the summer. And it seems like that's finally tapering off so we can actually spend time outside. Uh, 
I love living in a place where like thing like it's rough. So the weather is intense. <laughs> like everything's really intense. So when it's beautiful, you feel so grateful. I mean, it, honestly, I think it's beautiful all the time. I like love the intensity and then and the insanity from dust storms to wind to bugs to monsoons. Um, but yeah, like any snippet of just sort of like perfect weather feels so amazing. So every day just feels great. I've been helping out at a couple of gardens and, uh, picked a ridiculous amount of pie cherries yesterday, like more than I could ever use. So you all need to come over for a cherry pie. Just feeling really grateful to be here and to be living this life that for so long, either I didn't even think was possible or might, or eventually thought maybe it would just like live in my head forever. <laughs> Um, I didn't really know what would be possible and I'm really glad that I, uh, yeah, tried to make it possible. And I feel like a lot of the conversation that you'll hear with Sarah is a lot of that same vibe and being here in this place, I think it's something that Peter May said, who's the person I interviewed who you'll hear next on the podcast. He mentioned space a lot and, being in a rural place like this gives us the space to imagine and to be creative uh, and also then to move those ideas forward into reality. Like it's super easy to practice applied philosophy here because, oh, you want to like paint a mural on the side of a building or, oh, you want to put in a bike trail. Like there aren't a million bureaucratic hoops you have to jump through in order to do it. So dreams can become reality really quickly. I have a friend here who's experiencing this right now, who's like, maybe I should be a little careful about what I'm trying to manifest because things just happen so quickly. Uh, and it's beautiful and really wild and kind of makes you feel like you're living in a dream sometimes. Um, because I think as humans, we've gotten so used to like not being able to accomplish what we want, having our idealistic I mean, idealistic in a good way, visions be very much like hampered by civilization and um, outside pressures and judgments, etc. So I feel incredibly grateful to be here alongside other people who are incredibly grateful to be here. And I hope and wish that everyone is living a life that feels aligned and not like you're reaching for things that you can't have or for things you don't think you deserve to have. Yeah, it just feels, it feels great. And I'm trying not to feel guilty about it because I know a lot of other people don't have that kind of luxury. So the best I can do is feel grateful and to send that energy out into the universe. <laughs> um, and maybe if you can't accomplish what you want to accomplish where you are, come to a place like Crestone uh, where you can... You know, like a lot of people say, I think I mentioned this on the conversation that you're about to hear, so it's going to be a bit repetitive, but I've heard this adage, like how privileged it is to be able to, you know, move to a rural place where, you know, there aren't as many jobs to, to, ha to get and things are just, you know, more difficult. And I just don't see it that way. Like, yes, there are certain difficulties that you have to overcome by living in a rural place. And yes, there aren't a million stores or a million restaurants that you can work at. That's true. But if you're the kind of person that wants to create something from like inside of yourself, create something of your own, 
the pathway to that is a million times easier in a rural place. A friend of ours here, Seth, he was actually on Chris's podcast a long time ago. Former Mormon ended up in Crestone and created a, like put a pizza oven, a wood-burning pizza oven on a trailer and started a pizza business and cooked pizza for people in the kiosk here in town right when you get into town and, you know, drove it around to different festivals. He's not doing it anymore, unfortunately, and we all miss the pizza. Um, And it was such a staple of the community. Hopefully he'll start doing it again. But like where else? You can't like put a pizza oven on a trailer in New York City and just like pull up on a street corner and start making money on pizza, right? It's impossible. There's a million people you're competing with. You have to get permits. You have to pay a lot of money. You have to like pass a bajillion health inspections. And there's a little bit of that here, but it's nowhere near the barrier to entry, I feel, that exists in larger cities. Another friend of mine was is moving out of LA right now and was talking to someone who like runs restaurants And, you know, she was saying she's a foodie and she, you know, doesn't necessarily want to live in the city, but she also wants access to fancy cheese wherever she goes. And the person she was talking to, and I definitely reiterate it, was like, you make the fancy cheese, you know, like pull up next to the raw milk people here and make cheese with their milk and sell it next to them in the parking lot that they sell it in, right? Like where else, especially with raw dairy, could you do something like that? I don't know. This podcast, as I've said before, is becoming like an advertisement for Crestone and the San Luis Valley, but I feel really passionate about it. And I'm the kind of person that wants to share things with other people. And um, it's so beautiful to see not just my ideas come to life, but everyone else's come to life as well. That is just such a gift. Okay. I think that's all I have to say. I want to make one quick announcement, which is that our book club for August just began. Uh, For those who don't know, I run a really fun book club. It goes through Substack. Substack is an online writing platform that I've sort of baked in to my podcast project. So if you go to Anya Kotz, A-N-Y-A-K-A-A-T-S dot substack, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K dot com, you can subscribe for free. You'll get access to bonus content, writing, a book club. Yeah, anything else that I don't really put on the podcast, but (laughs) photos, behind the scenes, stuff like that, poetry. Um, And you can sign up for free. Definitely do that because I think the podcast project is now definitely, like I said, a multifaceted project. So if you're not subscribed to Substack, you're sort of missing part of it because not all of it is fitting into the, the podcast at the moment. So if you go there, you can also uh, click on the top, you'll see book club and you have to sign up specifically to get notifications for the book club. I send about mm, three emails maybe per month, notifying everyone of the book we're reading, the date and time that we're going to have our live discussion and the Zoom link. So I don't want to bother everybody that subscribes on Substack with those emails. So if you want to sign up for the book club, I'll put the link in the episode description, but you can also just go through Substack and click book club at the top and follow the instructions there. Um, I picked back at the beginning of the astrological new year, starting when Ar- in Aries season uh, in the spring, I decided the book club was sort of aligning <laughs> with the first sign in the zodiac. So I thought, hey, why don't I pick books that align with each sign the sun will move through over the next six months or so. So I picked six books, each which correlate to a different astrological sign. And, and I chose books through Virgo season. 
So this month is Leo season, and we're going to be reading Dancing in the Streets, A History of Collective Joy by Barbara Ehrenreich. This was a book, I believe, recommended by Sophie Strand, great writer who some of you may be familiar with, who was a previous guest on the podcast. And yeah, another friend of mine said she read it several years ago and still remembers so much from it. So really excited to read that with all of you. And then next month, we're going to be reading Breakfast at the Victory by James Carse, which is all about finding mysticism in everyday life and ordinary experience. And then I'm going to pick six more books to, to finish us out for the astrological year, going um, from, I guess it'll be Libra through Pisces. So look out for that. Haven't made that announcement yet, but I will be choosing those books soon and hope to have more of you in the group. It's a really intimate, fun group. I think there were maybe seven of us in the group discussion. Love that my podcast is like not super big. I love these intimate spaces and act and to be able to actually meet people and like know who you are is really exciting. So looking forward to that. I hope you will join us. Please always reach out if you have any questions about how to sign up. I know technology can be kind of confusing or Substack doesn't make sense. Send me an email, anyakatz at gmail.com or reach out to me on Instagram. Or if you are subscribed on Substack, you can always post questions and comments on every episode, which is really cool. I've started releasing my podcast through Substack, so you can subscribe, get an email every time I post a podcast, and actually th- share your thoughts in the comment section instead of this podcast just going out into the ether of the podcast apps, which it also does. <laughs> um, you can now engage with the content, which I think is really cool. So I think that's it for now. I have more announcements to make, but I will save that for the introduction to the next episode I put out in a couple of days. I'm going to play you in with a song that I cannot stop listening to. I feel like I already know that it's going to be listed as like the number one song I listen to on Spotify's year-end summary or whatever. Um, Gregory Allen Isakoff, my I hate favorites. But I've, but I've been warming to the idea that Gregory Allen Isakoff is my favorite musician, um, or at least has released maybe one of my favorite albums. His last album was just so beautiful and relatable and meaningful to me. And he's coming out with a new album on August 18th, which is the day after my birthday. So it feels like the best birthday gift ever. And he's released three singles uh, from the upcoming album. I think I've already played at least one on the podcast and put the other two uh, that he released on a playlist that I released just for Substack subscribers. That's the other thing I do. I release playlists. I did a uh, cancer cancer season one. I think I'm also going to do like a summer dinner party playlist coming up. So you'll find that through Substack. Anyway, this song, I think it's probably written like to a person. <laughs> He's addressing a person. But when I listened to it, um, I really related it to place and how for so long I felt so lost as far as where I belonged and where I wanted to call home and who were the people that I wanted to have there. And I feel like coming to Crestone, like Crestone found me. So the lyrics to this song make me think of that journey and how important it is to have not just people around you that love you and care for you, but to actually be grounded in a place and how that place might unlock the people and the life that you want, right? Like maybe the place is the first step, potentially. It doesn't have to be. But I think in many ways this place, yeah, has unlocked so much for me and I feel super grateful. Uh, 
and just sort of laugh about how I was living in San Diego and when I first got divorced was like so bummed out that I wasn't probably wasn't going to be able to keep my house and keep living there and really only a few months passed before I was like you know what that's not the place for me and I need to stop trying to fight for something that's clearly not aligned definitely a gift and a lightness to be able to let go of that stuff and just move on right I think Sarah mentions this in our in our conversation like I mean, one, if, if the path forward is sort of riddled with trapdoors and you have to push and nothing's working, like that's probably not your path. The path is the one that is just sort of laid out right in front of you and it isn't difficult and you don't have to push and things are just dripping with synchronicities. That's the path. We need to follow that one. So I hope you have found your path I hope your life has become riddled with synchronicities. And if not, please know that it's possible and change is absolutely possible, even if it feels excruciating. I've been there. It's so worth it. Coming to you from the other side. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. I promise. So enjoy this song. It's called Appaloosa Bones. And enjoy my conversation with Sarah. And I will catch you on the other side. the voice I've known or your Appaloosa bones that carried me on across the plains It's like you say all the time the world has lost its mind lost mine Words are that gone Then I hope not That you found me When you
out a windowsill They haven't made no pills To get us across the wintertime Tell the time by the walls Watch the shadows fall And the pages slow In the room I called your name And the pages slow In the room Okay, so we are recording. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here with Sarah Jones at her kitchen table for the second time. I'm thrilled to be back. <laughs> Welcome back. Thank you. Glad to be here. Sarah's drinking a juice box. <laughs> Don't tell the kids. <laughs> <laughs> those are good. Those they are so kids. good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So I wanted to touch base again. I know we talked a lot about the farm last time, which was awesome, but I was really taken by your story and you as a person. And <laughs> Thank you. yeah, I just wanted to get more insight on what your experience has been living here and what you've been working on. Both I'm interested in a personal level and also like the town of Creston through the papers interested. So. Yeah. You guys moved here, moved back to the farm. And did you envision before that in addition to all the farm stuff, that you would be this active in the community? <laughs> or did that just unfold? Yeah, great question. It definitely unfolded. Yeah, I mean, if you would have asked me even a year ago if I thought I would be, I would have bought the Hooper Junction, mm -hmm. I would have said no. Yeah, so, but I love the community and we definitely knew from Michael's family being here, we're the fifth gen, the kids of the sixth generation. So we definitely have a long history here and know a lot of people and we're both outgoing. And so we've gotten to know a lot of people and it's hard to not get involved and get to know people <laughs> and just keep on doing. Yeah. So I did not, yeah, I definitely did not see all of this coming and question someone recently joked if I had some like childhood stuff I needed to work through because I just can't quit. And it was like funny, yeah. but also not funny. I do not uh, have childhood trauma, which is great. But yeah, I, I question, right? Like when yeah. is enough and the balance of life? And yeah, I definitely struggle with having too many tabs open, which a lot of us do at once and saying no and how to balance life. It's constantly a moving moving target and, you know, changing my, I don't know, priorities, to-do list, all the things yeah. change day to day. So yeah, no, I did not think I would be doing all of these things. And it's crazy and exhilarating and exciting and fun and stressful and all the things, which I yeah. think makes a life well-lived. Do you think that that quality of having, like being interested in a lot of different things, because it's also not like a lot of things that are necessarily the same, right? And we can talk about the infrastructure, like yeah. how they're related in that way, but yeah. it's like food and this and that. It's yeah. all these different things. Is that something that... Yeah, I love. <laughs> no, two days are the same yeah. and just sort of having all the connections of the universe and sort of what makes us humans. Yeah, so sometimes I'm like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just do this, right? Why can't I be okay with 
just being a stay-at-home mom or just doing the sales and marketing, but I can't. I, I just, I can't quit, as I like to say, can't stop the hustle and doing yeah. more. And it's exciting and it's fun and exhausting. But yeah, I love, I don't know, the biodiversity. That's been a big word this last year. Biodiversity on our farm, biodiversity in our diets and gut and friends yeah. that I keep on bringing back. So I think that I need that also, just my sort of day-to-day, like what makes me, me, is just sort of all of the different things I'm doing. And it's fun and insane. <laughs> Great. <laughs> Great. Yeah, I wonder if, I felt like I'm, I've always been a person the sort of like master of none, like interested in lots of different things. Yeah. And just sort of following inspiration where it pops up. Right. And I feel like here, like I wonder if there's something about this place that if you get involved, it's sort of like inevitable that you're getting involved in all these different things. Like everyone yeah. here seems to yeah. be involved in yes. three different worlds. Yes. Have you thought about that? Yeah. As well? yeah. yeah. And I've, I, f- I feel that until when I have friends sort of visiting from out of town, I introduce people that way you think this person is this and then it's oh they also do this and this and it's so beautiful and like amazing one example I give is Kari she owns SLV apothecary and I met her another way that I've met a lot of people is through the farmer's market so you know started selling our potatoes at the farmer's market and that's sort of my socialization and outlet on some Saturday mornings and I get to go see our customers buy our potatoes and have that direct relationship with the consumer and also just socialize and see people haven't gotten to see in a long time and so I met Kari that way and I met her initially she was selling this farmer tea at the farmer's market and I was like what is this tea you speak of I'm a farmer I'd love to try it (laughs) and it's magical like it's so I give it to all of my friends for gifts and it essentially has like alfalfa and peppermint and all of these sort of special herbs and minerals Mm -hmm. and I find it like naturally energizing I think because of the minerals in the alfalfa which is really cool Mm. so she gardens Farmer makes all of her own teas, hydrosols now. She opened SLV Apothecary, so she has a brick and mortar now. So now she's like a business owner outlet for other people trying to sell stuff. She also is an artist and does clay and pottery and then is helping paint the exterior. I hired her to paint the exterior of the Hooper Junction (laughs) and she just did the new logo. I don't know if you saw it. So it has the ruby rose on it. And um, she painted all of that and just designed that. And just, I just love that. Just how, you know, people are clearly not what you think when you see them, right? And especially here, there's just so much sort of rich, like deepness to people. And I love finding out all that they do and are and what they care about. And it's fun. And you grew up in the city, right? In San Diego. Yeah. Yep. Grew up in San Diego. I say the burbs and beach of San Diego (laughs) and um, moved actually to San Diego from LA. So like when I was three. So, but I have most of my family still in LA and San Diego. And then I went to college in Seattle, met Michael. I did study abroad in London. And then I moved to New York after college and then moved back to Seattle, which I never thought I would do. And then after we were married, we moved to Boston for a while. And then Denver couldn't handle the sort of East Coast weather yeah. and people I struggled with. Like definitely I'm more of a West Coast laid back People girl. don't realize how different it is. I'm from New York. Okay. And then I moved to LA and I was yeah. like, whoa. You felt like LA and New York were, <laughs> were just totally yeah. different. Yeah. Like, 
it took a really long time to adjust. It was like a culture shock. And I'd lived abroad yeah. too, and yeah. it was that kind of extreme, yeah. and people don't realize how. Interesting. I've always different. wanted to, because I feel like New York people almost think they're tougher than LA people or vice versa. And I'm like, it's actually very similar. Yeah, just kind of caught up in the rat race, just such a different life. Yeah. But yeah, I struggled with sort of the East Coast kind of mentality. It wasn't for me. I missed sort of flip flops and more laid back. So I felt like Denver was the perfect move, perfect transition. And then I was actually the one that pushed for the move to the farm, not Michael. So he was in biotech commuting to Boulder, and I was tired of hearing him complain about, you know, corporate life and the commute. Yeah, tired of sort of the gray area. Felt like we were coming down here a lot and had one foot in here and kind of were talking about the if and when we moved and um, wanted a little more black and white. So, yeah, decided it was like, okay, one year from today, like we're moving. And we were able to make it happen. So That's awesome. Yeah. (laughs) Does your, is your family surprised? Are you the only kind of like farmer living in a rural place? Yes, definitely did not grow up in ag. My uncles lived in Valley Center, which was about 30 minutes away. So they had some horses, but were construction guys, definitely not ag at all. Yeah. So all of my family, you know, kind of just laughs and is like, wow, I can't believe like you live in the middle of nowhere and you're a farmer. And (laughs) my friends kind of teased me about, you know, where's the closest target or Costco or Nordstrom because it was just very different life here than the life I grew up in. Yeah. But I love it. I wouldn't want it any other way. Do you think that's like a personality thing or do you think, I just, I wonder sometimes about, because I'm so happy there isn't a Target or that I have to like walk a long distance to the mailbox or something. Yes. But I'm also my family, there's no one in my family that lives in a rural place. Yeah. My grandparents had a cabin in Gunnison when I was growing up, and I went out there, and there was no internet, no yeah. cell phone service until they sold it a year ago. Like, yeah. they kept it, and I loved it, and the rest of my family was like, where's my email? Like, I can't, yeah. and I always just, like, wondered what that was. That's a really good question. I don't, yeah, I don't know, because I didn't envision this or necessarily want this from a young right. age. I mean, I loved, I love things about city life. Yeah. But I think that life down here can be, you know, sort of as full, as busy as you want it to be. One example, when we first moved down, friends would come visit and like, oh, what would you like us to bring down? Right. And I had like my silly list of 15 or 20 things that I couldn't live without from Trader Joe's or Whole Foods or wherever. And now it's, I don't know, just bring yourselves maybe a good like organic wine. I mean, I really are like some fancy cheese or something, but I really don't have, you know, I feel like we're so blessed down here with just the incredible food, food options, ag, grass-fed organic beef and fresh, fresh food. So less about restaurants. That was a hard transition to, to get used to not having restaurant options or a lot of them. It's a lot more work, like the amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. To cook. Yeah. So definitely like doing a lot more cooking and stocking up on things. I'm not as good. I would love to take like a canning class, maybe when I'm retired, like a, some cool classes on better prep for yeah. food and storage and things like that. Totally. I don't feel like I, I'm super great at. So that would be good. Nice. Even like bread baking. Like in Denver, <laughs> I'm on the Colorado Grain Chain board and there were, there's classes at different bakeries and different places up in Denver. And it's like sourdough starter class. And I've never baked bread. We grow wheat. Like how sad is that? I, one, we don't have a mill. 
So I'm mm-hmm. talking about getting a countertop mill, which would then force me to mill our own grain and have fresh flour, which would be amazing. We do a lot of pancakes and cookies and waffles and things, but I would love to make my own bread. Like yeah. how amazing would that be? Yeah. But I don't really know where to start. So it'd be really cool to take a class. Yeah. I need to talk to Jess at Tumbleweed. Yeah. Um, in well, my, and milling in your own time. wheat. I, now I feel like that's like the way to do it. Yeah. Yeah. You can get a countertop mill for not that expensive. And we yeah. have six varieties of grain that we grow and how great would it be? But it's so sad. I have to like get it from customers that we ship to. And then we're up right. in Denver and I like pick up some of our own flour up there. Right. That's messed up to not be able to eat like your own, your own food that you're growing. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Totally. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah, let's, I'd love to hear the story behind Hooper Junction. I know you, you were sort of like me helping them, trying to help them sell the building for a little while. And yeah. Yeah. I would just love to hear yeah. how that so unfolded. So it closed in 2019 and we had moved down end of 2017. So we got to experience it for a year and a half or so. And it was like thriving, just lunch, cafe. Every time we'd stop in and grab lunch, there'd be a majority of the people we knew, local mm-hmm. community. It's also on Highway 17 on the way to the sand dunes. So in terms of like front range traffic, I mean, it gets hundreds of thousands of traffic down there. So closed in 2019. And I want to say maybe it was like, I don't know how long into it. It was early COVID though. And I just all of a sudden just got it. I just couldn't shake it. I'm (laughs) like, this is such a bummer. It's such a cool space. I want someone to buy it. I just, I want, we know so many people in the front range and down here and a lot of our cool customers that we sell to whole foods and distilleries and bakers and millers. I'm just like, it's such a cool spot and such a hit to the community to just have it be, have it be empty. Right. So I had seen it, gotten a tour, every friend that came to visit from out of state, I would give a tour (laughs) to and give them the pitch and talk about it. And so I just, yeah, my husband was like teasing me, like, you're not a realtor. What are you doing? Like, why are you doing this? And I'm just like, the community needs it. Like, we need it. Like, we need, my favorite movie growing up was Fried Green Tomatoes. We need a whistle stop cafe. (laughs) I want like fresh blueberry pie and cobbler. It's just, it's such a bummer. I I feel like a lot of communities have lost that. Just the go-to spot where everyone knows everyone and you're driving through and you can like sort of see the local community and enjoy some of their food and get get to experience it. So yeah, I, I tried. I mean, I tried my darndest. I had um, emails put together. I was talking with people. I was emailing people. And I had a few, you know, like seriously interested yeah. buyers. However, there wasn't a lot of info on the building. Just in terms of like P&L as a business, there wasn't a lot of spreadsheets and things that like real sort of entrepreneur business people are wanting to see, right? Like how much did it make on average? How much did it make on the gas? How much did it make from the restaurant and the retail store? And how's the septic and the sewer? Have you had all these inspections? And so, I mean, the owners were, they had listed it initially and I think they got too many looky-loos. There were a lot of, I think, people wanting it to be a dispensary, And they were luckily really specific and didn't want it to just go to anyone. They really did want it, I think, to stay a cafe in a retail store and ideally have it be someone, maybe local, buy it. So all of the people that were kind of interested were just like, we need info. We're not just going to buy it blind. So 
Yeah. And then I pursued it with a friend that I had just met and I pitched it to her, of course. And she's, well, that sounds really cool. I would be open to maybe looking, pursuing it with you and we maybe co-own it. So we went through the whole process, really dotted our I's and crossed our T's with a lot of things. I mean, I met with contractors and electricians, had talked about the septic and tried to get as much info. I felt like I was interviewing, sort of informational interviewing anyone, any leads I got, (laughs) I would call them and ask them questions and got as much info as I could to really make an educated decision. And then found out that the gas station wasn't in compliance. And I didn't know what that meant. But I'm like, okay, that doesn't sound great. And I had, I started getting enough information that I knew what that meant and was like, I'm out until it's in compliance. Like I'm, yeah. and at the time I was really feeling just sort of pulled emotionally from a mom being a mom and my mom is ill and was having to be moved into assisted living and just was feeling just sort of maxed out. So I felt like the timing worked out. So I just, I let the owner know that I, if he was planning on putting it in, getting it in compliance and then letting him know to let me know when it was in compliance. But for right now, the ball was essentially in his court. So walked away, felt really good. And then got a call, I don't know, a few months later, actually just a few months ago that, that it was back in compliance and it was back available. What, What did that mean? Did you find out what that? Oh yeah. So being in compliance means that. You have these, you meet with the Colorado state, there's like a gas station inspector. He's here, he's local and you meet with him and you make sure that you have sort of like your AB operator and these different tests done and just that you're keeping it essentially like up to code and in compliance. And then he signs off on it. So it's kind of similar to like your health inspection on your kitchen for a restaurant, but it's kind of a bigger deal. And then if it's not, if it's in compliance, there's like additional sort of insurance and funding that the state provides so that if there was an emergency or a big issue, then they will help you cover it. However, if it's not in compliance, you're like on your own, Mm. which is like insane because there is enough sort of money and issues with gas that could be like a million dollar plus thing that I was not willing to take a risk on. (laughs) So yeah, so I was really glad I hit pause from an emotional and just the compliance standpoint. And then got a call that it was back available and officially in compliance. So I was like, okay. <laughs> and I got really excited. Yeah. Like really just excited. Like almost wanted to like squ- kind of scream, right? Like, <laughs> just, okay. And then I immediately called Caitlin. Not for me. I immediately was like, I'm so excited for someone else. Not for me. I called Caitlin who her and I were pursuing it. And I texted her, I think like, crazy news. And she was like, I'm 1000% not interested. I'm, she was going to grad school and had just gotten engaged and was going through some really exciting stuff. And how long was this period of time from when? Uh, Yeah, it was, I mean, last summer was when we walked away. Okay. So all, I would say probably like nine-ish months. Yeah. Caitlin had had sort of totally changed. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, She's, I'm out (laughs) too, like just because we essentially yeah. were like, we'll put it back into the universe. And if and when it's supposed to happen, it'll happen. And yeah, so then I was like, oh, man, okay, all right. And then just sat with it. I just didn't really have any, but I it was in my head. And I'm like, okay, well, and then I think I reached out to a few more people that I had kind of previously reached out to, just like putting it back out there. And then one night we were eating one of Angelica Quintana of SLV Prep Fuel. 
and the Ruby Rose Bakery. So she makes meals. You can order them online. And then she also delivers them to a lot of the local gyms in Alamosa. And they're organic and yeah, fresh. looks awesome. Yeah. I haven't tried it, but I follow uh, her on Instagram and so I'm good. impressed. Yeah. <laughs> She's incredible. Yeah. And I tell people, I mean, just having lived in a lot of cities and different places and eating a lot of like amazing food and restaurants, she, I mean, I will say this and I know I won't regret it, but hands down, like she's one of the most like versatile and just amazing chefs I've experienced. Like in terms of the type of food she makes and really freshness. Very paleo friendly, like super whole food, fresh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Very fresh, very good. All of her ingredients are listed. I mean, she's incredible. And so, and she uses grass-fed organic. So she does Blue Range Ranch beef, who they graze on our land and we're friends with them and they're amazing. I mean, I I tell my friends, you know, also visiting from the city, if you want to see, if you eat beef and you want to see like the ideal life of how a cow should be raised, (laughs) like that's it. You're not going to see a happier, better, like more flavorful cow and beef. And then like she uses our potatoes when she can. She just, she really uses a lot of local organic. Other, other ones, farms or ranches that you can think of. She does White Mountain. She gets a lot from White Mountain. She gets a lot from the Food Hub, SLV Food Hub. I know she does some Yoder eggs. So she either sources direct from the farmers, like from us, or she gets a lot from the Food Hub. Yeah. So one night we're eating one of her meals and my husband was like, this is really good. Have you thought, you know, so I blame him for going because he's like, this was her idea. I had nothing to do with this. I said, don't do it. (laughs) And I'm like, oh, whatever. You're so full of it. So he's, what about Angelica? And we didn't know what it would look like, but he's like, what if Angelica does the food? Maybe she's like the chef or maybe she does the cook or the cooking or I don't know. So he's like, just reach out to Angelica. Maybe she'd be interested in doing something together, but she's really good. And we both agreed. And then I was like, huh, okay. We kind of talked through it a little. I called her the next day. She was super interested. We met, I think, two days later over there for her to see the space. I had not bought it yet. So this is all just like making sure – I'm, I am very, although I'm spontaneous and take leaps of faith, I'm also about not putting the cart before the horse. You know, we don't plant really anything on our farm until I know I have a customer for it. So daily harvest, we planted millet for them this year. And we're not just going to like willy nilly like plant millet because we hear it's like becoming popular and cool (laughs) and there's a good price. Like I want to know what the volume looks like, what variety, what are the shipping logistics and really have those details worked out. And then make the leap of faith that farmers make. Yeah. So we had the conversation. She saw it. She was super interested and excited. And we both have just kind of been in this crazy, like one foot in front of the other, talking, open communication, talking through timelines. We talked about our lease. So essentially she was interested in it as a tenant. So she is going to be leasing the entire space for me. So Mm. she's going to do the retail side. So she'll have a lot of local, all the fridges stocked. And ideally, I think her vision is fresh produce, like kind of mini general store, mini, mini market. It's a huge space. It's a really, yeah. I've never been in it before. When I moved here, it was closed. I think what's also crazy is like no one has records of the exact square footage, (laughs) not even the city, which is funny and weird so I'm like okay so I think it's like 2700 ish but yeah so she's I want it like I I want it all so she's leasing the entire retail space so I'm envisioning like fresh or just quinoa and potatoes and as much fresh 
produce and items as possible. And then also sort of, I mean, the gas station sort of needs that people want, the waters and kombucha and Gatorade and candy bars. (laughs) Eclectic. Um, Yeah, yeah, probably not everyone. (laughs) Like to serve everyone, right? Yeah, exactly. And then have, so which has started, it'll be grab and go concept. So she'll have her fridges stocked with like her meals and fresh food. She's going to do coffee, espresso, cinnamon rolls, baked goods. And then people can eat it there if they want or eat outside or take it to go. So, but it's not going to be like, I want an omelet with these things on it. And then the waitress brings it out. It'll be grab and go to start. And then phase two might be like a burger fry joint. Right. So the more people go and support. Right. Um, Right. So the community is really excited. Yeah. Everyone's asking, you know, I also love just the feedback already. And then I'm like, talk to Angelica, talk to Angelica. I feel like it's a really perfect collaboration for both of us. Mm -hmm. Like I wouldn't have bought it if I didn't have her to do her part. And I think it'll be really profitable and beautiful for her and her business. And hopefully the building will stay in good shape and the gas will make good money for me and it can be win-win for both of us yeah yeah so but it's a lot of unknown like we don't have a lot of numbers or data and we're both (laughs) just like taking a leap of faith and but it's also head and heart like I really looked through and went through a lot to make sure there wasn't going to be anything sort of major repair yeah and luckily that has been the case yeah, because yeah. it's like a full kitchen and like lots yeah. can go wrong. Yeah, so the biggest <laughs> cost so far was the fire suppression system, right. which all needed to be updated. So, yeah. But I've learned a lot. And people are like, are, have you been in the restaurant industry? I'm like, no, never. <laughs> I've not worked in a restaurant. <laughs> it's funny. Or ever dealt, yeah, dealt with gas. People are like, wait, what? You own a gas station? And I'm like, yeah, I know. It's crazy. I didn't see that coming either. Yeah. So here I yeah. am. It's kind of, we do a lot of, I guess, building the plane as it's flying, right? Like we have the foundation, like on the farm too, right? Like we have the foundation. We're not like just jumping in totally blind. But if you have all your ducks in a row and everything's perfect, like there's not going to be a lot accomplished if that's yeah. how you're living your life. So you have sort of the outline and the structure and some of the foundation. And then you just got to make the leap and trust that like, if you can't quit and your heart is like really being pulled towards that and sort of the path of least resistance, I feel like it's sort of fate in the universe. Right. The previous owners were also amazing with sort of just negotiating and really wanting it to be open and be beautiful for the community and everything just sort of happened the way it was supposed to happen. I feel like when it's supposed to happen. So yeah. Yeah. try to stay positive. <laughs> Keep on swimming. Keep on yeah. swimming. Yeah, it's funny you said, like, I've never worked in a restaurant. And I think there's so many things here. I've, I mean, I've only lived in the Valley full time for s- since this fall. And okay. I've been here. I've been in and out, but always felt like I couldn't focus on anything because I was not present right. full time. Yeah. Sort, of, sort of like your experience. I was like, okay, we yeah. just need, like, I need to know where I live yeah. so I can start doing stuff. And it's been interesting and surprising to see what has popped up as interesting to me and yeah. like what pulls me. Yeah. Um, what are some of the things? Bike paths. 
Okay. Like in Crestone. I bike path, more bike paths in general. I have an electric bike that I'm, I'm obsessed with it. Cool. It's just so fun. Yeah. And makes, there's lots of hills in Crestone. So riding a regular bike is yeah. basically like you have to be superwoman if you want to do it. Yeah. It's not like pleasurable or a mode of transportation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But this bike that I have. Electric was uh, like a game changer. Yeah, totally. But there's just no infrastructure really in Crestone mm. for that sort of thing. Okay. And there's some main roads that are getting a lot busier. Yeah. That it's just like a hazard for people. Like people are walking with strollers like out of town to like where the houses are on this like main intersection because there's no trail. Yeah. So that kind of thing. It's just okay, like now I'm going to do that. Yeah. But I think there's also something in the Valley and just probably rurally in general that that stuff that's plausible. Totally. Right? Like you're not going into the restaurant business. You're in like the community business, right? right? (laughs) And that these like... Things that pop up are somehow related to that. Yes. Right? Yeah. I feel like the world is your oyster down here. Whereas in the right. city, there's a lot. Yeah, I could have, of course, never bought a gas station. <laughs> or, or why a, would you or want a 3, to? Or a 3,000 square foot <laughs> restaurant building. Like just financially and all the things. Yeah, I feel like there's so much opportunity and beauty. Just there's, yeah, I just, there's so much opportunity. And yeah, yeah and it takes... I think less effort here, down here. There's less people, right? So it's, oh, well, no one else is going to do this. I guess I have to. Same with the bike path. Oh, I really want this. I want (laughs) to see this done. And I can. It's like strangely selfish. And I know who to talk to. (laughs) So I'm going to do that. Right. And it's just, for me, it's kind of common sense. Like you see a problem and you don't assume the hundreds of thousands of people living around you are going to do anything about it because there's not hundreds of thousands of people. Right. You're going to do it. Yeah. And you can do it. Yeah. And then you get to see, like, it come to fruition and the beauty that came with that and the impact you had on, like, maybe that one small thing. And it's really beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. I will not cry. I will not cry. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, it's awesome. I mean, I was just thinking on the way over here, too, because I've been, we can talk about the mural as well, because that's part of this. Yeah. But I've been researching grants and stuff for a mural that will hopefully, at some point, adorn the side of the junction. Yeah. Definitely need some color. Yeah. So I was looking at what was available, and there are, like, some grants that you can only get them if you are, like, a 501c3 organization. Right. Okay, well, screw it. Just create an organization. Yeah. So yeah. just all these crazy things like, okay, well, I could have this organization that could raise money for infrastructure, for art, for... Totally. Which is, yeah, again, nothing that would have occurred to me Yeah. in a larger... It's not like those things didn't interest me. Right. Um, but now, like you said, they're like right in front of you and yeah. no one else is going to do it. Yeah. And also there's not like 7,000 walls of barrier to get there, like... Right. You don't have to raise a ton of money right. to buy the house or go yeah. through a bunch of bureaucracy. Yeah. Like there's so yeah. much less. Definitely. I also have, I mean, it's, I've been saying the path of least resistance, although I don't know, I've gone back and forth with that, but that where it's like, you're excited about this one thing and then it opens the door to the next and then you just sort of follow the path. And, you know, as you're sort of excited and you're passionate about it, it doesn't feel like work right? It's fun. No. It's exciting. You're like jumping out of bed to do those things. And yeah. you're like, well, who am I? Whereas like corporate world, I would literally be crying on the way to work and like hating my job. And what am I supposed to do with my life? And so it's really cool and fun to, f- to find those things and that are kind of work, 
but also that you're excited, get you excited. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's easy to follow that path. But there's also things that are, I mean, it's not all easy, right? There's plenty of hard things and sitting down and staying focused and doing the spreadsheets and paying the bills. And those are the things that like just are a bummer, but go with being an adult and like doing some of those projects too. So, (laughs) yeah. but yeah, it's fun to see what you're interested in and what you'll want to do and do. Yeah. Yeah. Before I forget, so if there are people that are like listening to this or read the article who have products that could maybe be sold in your store, is that some Angelica's realm? Yes. Yeah. That will 100% be Angelica's decision. So she's on Instagram as SLV Prep Fuel and then Ruby Rose Bakery. I don't, I don't have her email address memorized, but I would say just reach out to her on Instagram, either of those for right now and or stop by and people can leave info on the products or business cards. Probably kind of same, same idea as like Elephant Cloud where they can right. just stop in and leave their info and Angelica will get back to them. But I know she's going to be interested and excited to be working with a lot of local makers. Yeah. Makers and yeah, creators and being able to help sell their products. Cool. So it'll be fun. Yeah. And what is the vision for the mural? What was your Yeah. I don't I don't really have a vision, <laughs> which is I have the inspiration, but I'm one of those people that when I see it, I don't know exactly what I want, but like I know what I don't want. Yeah. And when I see different sort of examples, I'll be like, Yeah, that's not what I'm going for, but I love this style or I love that look or I love this artist. But I'm really open. Yeah, I'm just excited to see some color and beauty and sort of highlight what makes the valley, which isn't necessarily for me to sort of define, right? right. I think as I'll see it, yeah, I'll know, but would love yeah. to get some help on what that looks like. Yeah, But yeah, I don't have any... I mean, for me, my goal when I moved down, so when we arrived, it was August 7th, 2017, my favorite number seven to the double rainbow at golden hour after a rainstorm. And I just really, my hope was that I would never take the view in the mountains for granted, right? That it would just become so like everyday view that I didn't notice it. And we have such incredible sunsets, you know, and we can see the sand dunes. So, I mean, that's obviously a huge part, right? The sand dunes, but also agriculture. One of my goals and hopes is you drive through a small town in the middle of nowhere, in any, anywhere, right? In the country or in the world. And you're like, what do people do here? Because you're just like on the highway and you (laughs) see a bunch of dirt or fields and you're like, I don't even know what that is. What do people do? How do people live here? Or does anyone live here? Yeah, my (laughs) husband has said that. My favorite. Like he's from here and we've been in Texas and he'll be like, what do people do here? And I'll look at him and be like, are you joking? Like we live in probably a more deserted looking area than this. And so I'm hoping for the Hooper Junction to be sort of a highlight. The cliff notes, if you will, of what we do here. So even a lot of people don't even know potatoes are grown in Colorado. We're number two in the country for fresh market potatoes. So I would love to have some posters or highlights educating people that are just driving through headed to the sand dunes on what the valley is about. So what produce we create, maybe a little bit on the vortex and just sort of having some cool examples maybe some cool black and white photos old photos of our family from like the 1800s early 1900s um you know living here some of the crops that are grown i feel like it's a good it's a good it's a good yeah 
way to educate people on what we do and what we're about down here in the valley and it's so diverse and it's not just about obviously agriculture either right we have the cranes we have the beauty and art of crestone center del nor i mean there's so much around us that people don't know about so i would love for the hooper junction to sort of be like a highlight of that beauty and uh, yeah so much opportunity like (laughs) yeah so so many options so yeah yeah and did you want to talk about horizons at all okay (laughs) okay Okay. yes that was my next question speaking of cool art in the valley yes (laughs) horizons horizons do you want the story like how i met them yeah yeah. okay yeah so horizons which is opening soon july 29th Yeah, July 29th is the opening to the public, which is really exciting because it's been a long time in the making. So it started a few years ago. I was giving a farm tour to Kelly Whitaker and Luke Falcone, who dad Mark Falcone owns The Frontier. Kelly Whitaker is a big Colorado chef, and we grow a lot of grain for him. Mm. And then Adam, who was sort of the art kind of director, boots on the ground at The Frontier for a while. So they were touring the farm and Adam asked if I knew anyone in the valley that had a circle, a farm circle, which is 160 acres that was no longer in production. And I was like, actually, I think we do. Let me let me check with my in-laws and see and I'll get back to you. So I got introduced to Courtney and Hannah of the Black Cube in Denver and started talking and kind of got more details and then made the pitch to my in-laws in kind of joke, but not joke. It was the hardest sales job to convince my in-laws to donate this land that they used to farm only for a couple years. So they bought it. I need to find out the exact date they bought it. I think it may be in the 80s, early 90s. It was a water. It came with water rights, surface water rights, and it came with another field. So it was sort of a package deal. Mm. And they had their cows grazing on it and then were growing some cover crop for the cows. And then quickly realized it didn't have an ag well, so it was just surface water, and just realized that, that it wasn't sort of sufficient water to grow something. So they kind of threw in the towel on that field, and it's been in, it's been fallow, so not producing, and essentially untouched for like 30 years. So there is some sort of native grasses, what some people would call weeds and things that have grown on it, but not a lot. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I convinced them they were willing to donate the land for a two-year in-kind donation at the opening. So it's actually been already, I think, two, three years that the project's been worked on. And then it'll be a two-year donation with the hopes of possibly making it permanent, just sort of depending on, I think, traffic and the way that the land is used and things like that. Yeah, yeah so they donated it. Um, so I met with Hannah and Courtney pretty early on. They came out to look at the land, take pictures, provide it to the artist, Marguerite Humo, who is based out of London. She's a French artist. And this will be the largest earthwork in is it the country or the world by a woman artist which is really cool and a lot of people are like I don't know what that means and I'm like oh you have to come out and see for yourself because I yeah I mean it's just that's what it is so come see it and it, it definitely took a lot of forms over like what she wanted what her vision was she's known I think for doing just like a ton of research and everything is super intentional which was a great fit our ask was that the wear and tear on the existing plants be as minimal as 
possible because it's like these little weeds and, you know, shrubs and things have really given it their all to survive over 30 years with very little water. Keeping the soil. And they're keeping the soil in place. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like the less disturbance you can do, like that would be great. So they really respected that and have been working on it. And they just finished the install. And then the artist is coming out next week to kind of do some finishing touches and make some tweaks. But it's over seven giant hammocks that resemble cranes. And so Ode to the Crane, that was a really big part of it. And then 77 small sort of musical instruments that are very quiet and low profile that sort of mimic the sounds of nature Mm. to her. And everything, again, everything she picked out was so intentional, like to the metal, to the finish on the metal, to the ropes of the hammock, and everything was fabricated in England. She tried to find, I think, as much local as she could, but ended up having to go have everything fabricated in England and then shipped over. Hmm. So there's going to be a lot of people coming out from England, from France, to see her work. She was also accepted. I'm going to butcher it. I don't know the name of it, but it's like the Venice, it's like an art festival, and it's only so many artists around the world are invited. The Biennale. Yes. And she was invited to do that, which was amazing, like this last year. And so it's been really cool not being in art world, just like not being in restaurant world, like learning just what that is like and what that's about and getting to meet more people and sort of host them and teach them about sort of our lives and the land down here. And it's funny because some people are just like, wait, what? Why? Like, why are they doing that? Or why? How much money are they making? Or why are you guys doing this? And for (laughs) me, it's like, why not? If people think it's like weird or don't understand it, I'm like, yeah, we're in. Let's do that. And again, why not? The land wasn't being used. And to be able to encourage people to come down and see the beauty that we often as locals take for granted or maybe curse Mother Nature because it's not cooperating with what we want it to do and to really see the beauty that is around us is beautiful. And I feel blessed to be able to do that. So I'm really grateful that my in-laws decided to be open to that and that I get to be a part of it. Trendsetters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, and it's fun. So at the opening, Shay of Dram in Salida is creating a special tincture. So I got to meet her for the first time. I'm a huge fan. She's amazing. She's um, really good friends with Annie, who's the event planner from Denver, like planning the event. So her and I have been working together. And then she introduced me to Shay. So Shay and I and her husband got to walk the land together and really look at all of the different, essentially weeds, right, that are growing plants Mm -hmm. that are growing. I guess weeds is what we call them, but they're plants that are survivors, (laughs) that are perseverers, that have just been through the, the hardest of times and have roots still and bloom. Like how amazing is that? And so we got to walk and like touch and taste and smell different herbs. And she's making a special tincture. I'm probably saying the wrong word. That is going to be used in like cocktails or sparkling water at the opening event. And then Family Jones, that's an amazing distillery in Denver in Loveland that we grow organic rye for their whiskey. They're donating a lot of products for the kind of the opening dinner and opening event. So they'll be there. So it's really fun to sort of see this whole, so I guess, 
to be able to be a bridge mm-hmm. to the front range and to some of our sort of customers and friends and relationships and get to see it all kind of come together and play together. There's also going to be some food trucks, all local. So I feel like we're getting to support the local community that way. And the excavation company, Cooley Excavation Company did a lot of the work at the install also. So it's been cool to be like, what is this? <laughs> Why? To get to see it unfold and just be like, yep, it's going to be cool. Yeah. Gonna be cool. Yeah, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's funny you mentioned the Venice Biennale because I think I mentioned a friend of mine, awesome guy, was friends with a couple people with a lot of money, and they basically wanted to revitalize an abandoned town on the Salton Sea in California. Awesome. Which, like, if this is abandoned and desolate, like, yeah. Yeah. it was way crazier. Just yeah. total empty trailers with just like clothing yeah. and graffiti and just a really yeah. rough and tumble place and yeah. the people that had lived there many of them were there when there was this boom at the salton sea when the beach boys went there to water ski but then the salton sea became this environmental disaster yeah. and the town flooded but meanwhile people are still living there like since since the 70s wow so they're like well what if we went into this town and we like helped and bought land there and actually lived there at least part of the time and Tao knows all these artists, really awesome artists who like do stuff at Burning Man and yeah. all this stuff, who also bought property yeah. in this little town, Bombay yeah. Beach, and have erected yeah. hundreds of pieces of art in the town that stay there, that yeah. live there. Yeah. And the land prices have gone up and all these people. And there's like an unannounced, unmarketed Biennale Festival yeah, every year. I love it. Um, that you kind of have to like know when it is to go. They don't want yeah. it to grow too big. Yeah. And it's super, super weird and <laughs> inspiring. And like the idea of like uh, on the surface, a place looks like one thing. Right. But it's like you just look away and look back. Yeah. And it's like the ways that people, yeah. I like have chills. But yeah, just like craziness. Yeah. And I always, uh, when I, I come here, I envision that sort of thing as well. And so yeah. when you talked about Horizons, I was like, whoa, like this is happening already. That's yeah. great. And yeah, like I have a friend up in Peonia, this guy, artist Sean Guerrero, who makes these like massive sculptures with reclaimed like airplane fuselages and Amazing. cars and yeah. stuff. And I told him he should come to Horizons. Oh my gosh, so I'll yeah. bring the plane. Yes. <laughs> Park it at Hoover and Show. Yes, please. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I love it. How did the locals handle? Yeah. Was it a small community of locals that kind of still stayed? And Yeah, so it was very small. Yeah. Many of them had been there for a long time. Some yeah. not, though. Some were just, it's right by what's that place? It's that crazy place out in the desert there. Slab City. Mm. It's like this other kind of bizarre. Okay. Just like a lot of vagabond uh, people who are like looking to not be found also right. sort of move there. Yeah. So yeah, it was a mixed bag. There was a lot of people who were super into it. Yeah. Over time, it's now been, I think they just put on the seventh, sixth, seventh festival. Awesome. And had been living there for years prior. So yeah. now it's like locals. It's like a right. lot of the artists have lived there longer right. than, yeah. Um, yeah. But mostly they were supportive. And I think the reason was because it really was about revitalizing the community. Yeah. It wasn't a Burning Man type thing where people come in and then take everything Destroy away. It. You know, yeah. the point was to, yeah. I'm calling I'm calling my project the Hooper Resurgence. It just takes one building, one house, one property, one art project, and hopefully like others will follow and 
Yeah. So my current quote unquote project, I we can edit this out if needed, but the old elementary school. So it's the Brook Elementary School. My husband's great uncle built it. It's incredible. Two story. Like I think it would make an amazing dance studio, yoga studio, art studio. I mean, the possibilities are endless, like beautiful. I'm sure it needs a lot of work, like most things down here. But I have a call in with the owner to find out if he is willing to sell and sort of what his price looks like and then just start my pitching it to as many people as possible. And I'm like, come on, I bought the Hooper Junction. I'm putting down roots like someone else needs to take this on. But again, there's just so much potential and I just can't quit. But I promised like my friends, I swear I'm not buying this. Mark my words. I mean it, guys. I'm not (laughs) buying this building. But like center, there's so many of the old buildings on Main Street getting purchased and sort of brought back to life. And as long as people I think are intentional and want to be a part of the community in a beautiful way, I think it can go really, it can be successful and be beautiful. Yeah fascinating I agree though it's like there is such potential and I think it's I've heard this said before that to me (laughs) there's some idea that like to move out of the city and like it's a privilege of some kind to sort of like go and homestead and da 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 Hmm. and I remember when I first moved here like there's this guy Seth who lives in Crestone who's making pizza for a while and he like bought a brick oven and put it like concrete on a trailer and was like making pizza at festivals and at the Crestone kiosk. It was amazing pizza. Yeah. It was awesome, dude. Awesome. And I'm just thinking, like, where else could people just pull up a trailer and sell pizza on the side of the road? Like, I feel like people have a lot of dreams of things that they want to do, but yeah. get stuck on the fact that it's, yeah. like, so expensive or so unattainable and I need this and I need yeah. that. And you sort of come here and it's yeah. like, well, I could just, you know, buy a school. <laughs> and, yeah, it's, like, I think maybe a shock for some people to sort of get used to or even have the desire to live in like yeah. a rural place. But if you want to do things. Right, right. Yeah, my cousin, I don't know, graduated from CSU a few years ago and uh, was a geology major, sort of had a corporate job and hated it, you know, and now yeah. does the ski instructor, raft instructor guy, but was complaining about um, not being able to find a house affordable. And it's like, well, yeah, in the city, right? But there's still, I still feel like Del Norte, Cooper Center. I mean, there are houses to be bought for under 200,000, which is like a dream in Denver. Your life will look different, but you can be a teacher and buy a fixer upper and be a part of a really cool, beautiful community and be as busy as you want and travel. So I don't know. It's like, there's so much opportunity. (laughs) Move here. Come on. And it's cool. And there's a lot of just... Yeah, I think hidden gems, like if you're willing and open. I mean, I don't really have any examples of what the city offers that we don't have. I guess maybe parallel parking. Like more restaurants. More restaurants. Also, once you stop eating at restaurants, then you're like, why do I want to eat this subpar food and pay all this money? It stops being a thing you miss. Yeah, you really (laughs) appreciate local food that you make. I mean, one of our favorite meals, our friends were visiting and we were doing chickens for a while. We will soon again ish, like in the next year or so, (laughs) because I miss it. But having free, we called it beyond free range because like they weren't in pins and they were just like wandering to have like free range on our organic cover crop chickens that you process by your hand, like with love 
And then to enjoy that, just the richness, it felt so European. Just that's what I imagine. Yeah. Sort of what life is more like in Europe where you like you're eating less meat, but it's really good quality where it came from. It was like raised with love and eating that chicken is like nothing you can experience. Like you, you can't buy that in the grocery store, that chicken, like you legit cannot. And then with like our new baby potatoes and like fresh greens that I bought at the farmer's market, you know, and our friends are visiting and are just like, you guys live this amazing life. And we're like, okay, well we don't eat like this every night, but this meal is insane. And it's just yeah, it's again, it's like nothing you can get in a restaurant. It's like yeah. nothing you can get at the grocery store. And those those things are special and remind me of like just how much opportunity and beauty that we have here and that I don't feel like I'm missing out on anything in the city other than I guess traffic. <laughs> bummer. <laughs> yeah. Huge yeah. bummer. Well, amen. I'm glad I'm not the only salesperson. <laughs> yeah. Like me recording all these podcasts with like local Crestone people on this podcast that people listen to all over the country. Look how cool yes, it is. It's yes. great. I love Come, it. Be a part. There's so much beauty and opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. Again. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Thank you for listening to that conversation with Sarah. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you're making your way down to the San Luis Valley <laughs> to come meet these awesome people. Or if not... I hope you're at least enjoying their stories from afar. Again, if you would like to join our book club, get access to bonus content, uh, please sign up on Substack. It's free. You can donate if you have the means, but it's kind of like public radio. Everyone gets the same stuff, but if you find this podcast valuable and the things I release on Substack valuable, you can sign up as a paid subscriber for $5 a month. Just a reminder, that is the only way that I make money on this podcast. Um... I will never have ads so done with that life after my marketing food blogging days. So if you find this content valuable and you want it to, yeah, you want to like support it with your dollars, um, it's five bucks a month. That's like one, one coffee in a big city, maybe. I really appreciate um, all of the donations and all of the support, whether it's financial or otherwise. Share episodes with your friends, leave a review on iTunes. I haven't really said that in months. (laughs) How to support the podcast. I'm really bad at this. So yeah, uh, leave a review on iTunes. That takes two seconds and it helps make the podcast more, look more legitimate for those who want to be guests. Like I think, I mean, this is what I do when someone reaches out to me, I go to the iTunes and say like, how many reviews and ratings does it have? So that's super helpful. It will help you hear cooler people on the podcast moving forward. Um, And it also helps the podcast show up more in search results. So I think you can also rate podcasts on Spotify. So if you happen to be listening on Spotify, you can click the rating there. Leave, you know, even like a one, two, three word review on iTunes. It's super helpful and also just makes me happy. (laughs) Um, So that's legit, right? Uh, And yeah, otherwise, Substack is the way to go, whether you're a financial um, monetary subscriber or otherwise. Just joining our community is really great. Again, our uh, August book club just started, anyakots.substack.com forward slash book dash club. And I think that's it. I'm going to play you out with a tune called Happiness Does Not Wait uh, by a composer, Olafur Arnolds. Um, I believe he's Icelandic. This was introduced to me back last summer in Greece when I was doing my contact beyond contact training and 
I've included this in so many of my movement classes moving forward. And happiness does not wait is just such a profound title. This has no words, um, but I think that really encapsulates, you know, what it's about and, and how it feels. And it's true. Happiness does not wait. So seek that shit out now whenever you can, as soon as possible. Um, life goes by so quickly and all of the pain and fear of doing something new and seeking out happiness when you don't have it in your life is so worth it. I feel like I said the exact same thing in the introduction, but clearly that's the message that wants to come through today. It's worth it. Don't wait. Enjoy this piece of music and I will catch you next time. <laughs>